Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm honored to have on as our guest three mental health clinicians discussing culturally competent mental health care for Asian Americans. Jack Lamb is an associate psychotherapist at the Yellow Chair Collective, a multicultural therapy practice focused on Asian and Asian American mental health. Jack is a genderqueer, non-binary, Chinese-Malaysian immigrant who brings a compassionate, anti-oppressive lens to the work they do. Their work focuses on depression and anxiety treatment, suicidality, and transgender non-binary identities. Nita Bata has a Master of Social Work from the University of Pennsylvania and is licensed in both New York and California. She specializes in anxiety, depression, career, premarital counseling, love, dating, and relationships, children's, teens, and families, and racial and cultural identity. As an individual who was raised between two cultures, she offers a warm and safe space to discuss cultural competency as it relates to her client's life. She approaches each client from a unique perspective, tailoring treatment to individual needs. Dr. Agnes Simone is a board-certified adult psychiatrist who specializes in the treatment of anxiety disorders, depression, young adult mental health, ADHD, and insomnia. She sees patients at the Echo Park and Pasadena Cal Psychiatry offices and also offers telehealth options. She is passionate about her integrative and culturally competent approach to mental health care. While she provides medication management, she also highlights the importance of non-pharmacologic interventions, including healthy lifestyle changes, mindfulness, and psychotherapy. Welcome, Jack, Nita, and Agnes. Thanks for having us. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. So we all came together to want to talk today about culture and culturally competent care and what that looks like. And I think the best way to start this interview is to ask, what is culture? I think culture is defined in different ways if you ask different people, but I think essentially it encompasses our backgrounds. So how we grew up, where we grew up, who we grew up with, who we were surrounded by, and all the influences um, in our upbringing. To add to that, I think of like social norms and values that you share. I think that's a big part of culture and food. (laughs) Thinking about culture and thinking about the richness of of culture, I'm talking to three different mental health providers of, you know, some of you are South Asian backgrounds, some of you are East Asian backgrounds. Maybe I'll just jump into it. This discussion of what do you typically see and what do you work with in terms of issues relating to culture in your work with clients or patients? What comes up? I can jump in. With my clients who are South Asian Americans, achievement is a big factor. A common theme that comes up typically of South Asian households is the older generation thinking about family representation and the value. And then the folks who are living in born and raised in the States, where their self-worth then becomes contrary to what the family of origin is, uh, not based on family status and representation, but is more into the best interest of the individual. So I see a lot of, a lot of push and pull between individual self-worth and family self-worth. 
Yeah, and uh, I can definitely echo that. <laughs> I work at a practice that is focused on Asian and Asian American mental health. So that's a lot of our clients. And yeah, I think there's always this like, when I think about culture, I think about this straddling of kind of where your family comes from versus where you grow up and what your family wants for you versus what you want for yourself and feeling, I think Nita mentioned this, like selfish sometimes when you're not fulfilling kind of familial expectations and maybe even guilt and shame comes up for a lot of my clients too. Yeah, I think the common theme is values. Like what do, let's say your parents who are from a different country value versus what do you value as somebody who grew up here in the States? So comparing the values and being okay with having differences. And I think a lot of the times there is some conflict between the children and the parents. So yeah, very common in my practice as well. And I guess this battle of different values, right? How do you work with that therapeutically? Is it about just naming it and acknowledging it and knowing that you can't change it? Or I mean, I guess, and I know it's different depending on each individual you work with, but I guess the question is, how do you work with that? If you have someone who's struggling with these values between their values and their parents' values and how to find this common ground? I can jump in. I I really like that, Agnes, you brought up values because I think thinking about kind of culturally competent care, which is very much talked about, I think about like the values also that the clinician brings into the session, right? Like coming from, I guess, practicing on Western lens where individualism is very highly valued, right? Like how do you make your own decisions? How do you kind of find independence and do things on your own? But I think especially when it comes to these clients, I found that what really works best for us is like meeting them where they're at, right? So if they are comfortable with the values of meeting the expectations of their parents and working towards something that maybe is not their own ideal, but it brings them joy to make their parents proud or make their family proud or help their family move up in certain like circumstances, I think that's valuable in itself. So when it comes to values work with clients, I think that's what I think of is like, okay, well, you know, they're, they're, there are certain reasons why there's a conflict. There's maybe ways that this value brings you joy and it doesn't. So let's see what happens, you know, when, when things come up and value conflict, I think is inevitable, but it's really about kind of like what you prioritize in certain situations and helping them be clear on that. Yeah. When Jack was talking, it was making me think about with clients and and support, really helping them identify or put voice to what is it that their parents may not support? What choice are they making that wouldn't be maybe frowned upon? And then also, you know, a step further is feeling as though you have to prove to the parents, right? And so are you being really honest about your wants and needs and sort of stressing how the, you know, being an authentic self, what that looks like and, you know, finding peace within making the choice that could not be well supported. Well, you also made me think about when you think about the different values and figuring out where the balance is going to be also thinking about boundary setting and what that looks like kind of through a culturally sensitive lens. That's really tough. I would say Um, (laughs) Jack's laughing. Boundary setting is really tough because I think it's so hard to 
have like a general answer for that one, just because everyone's so different. Like one person might be really open with their family and really willing to be able to talk about that. But there might be another patient who really just can't have that conversation, whether it's because their parents don't want to or refuse to, or there's a language barrier. So I think it, it really does vary. Yeah, I I was laughing at this because I think this comes up so much with so many of my Asian American clients and Asian immigrant clients, because I think when it comes to values and boundaries, whenever there's a difference, I think what I hear very often from my clients is like, you know, I have to set this boundary because they don't understand. And only until they understand why I'm doing this, what I'm doing, and they accept it and they're able to kind of see this, then they can be in my life. And it then goes back to the question, I was like, well, what if they never, right? Because their values are inherently different from yours. Like, I think it's maybe unfair or maybe hard for them to kind of shift their values in the ways that you want for them to kind of accept what you're doing. And then you find out, of course, that there's still this desire to have a relationship with their family. So how does that look, you know, when you're saying on one hand, like, no, they have to understand like why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I'm valuing what I'm valuing. But also I don't want them in their life if they don't, but I also, I still do, right? Like also I still want to have a relationship with their parents. So that's the kind of, I think, the navigation that we do when it comes to like boundaries work, I guess. Yeah, I can add to that. My parents uh, came over from India and I was born and raised here in the States, but they were pioneers coming over and and, uh, trying to live the American dream, what that looked like back then. And I think perhaps there was some guilt that they carried, right? Because there was this concept of boundary setting just really didn't exist. And I think we talk about it now with our clients. It's it's kind of a form of self-care, if you will. And, you know, what, what many of us witnessed as our parents kind of overextending by leaving, you know, their home country, um, not putting limitations on helping or, or limitations around themselves, drawing their own boundaries for their immediate family or extended family. So, you know, I think another theme that comes up with boundary setting, I think it can be really difficult for for some of the clientele is because there has been this belief that you subscribe to that your sort of constant presence is really valued, then I think it's just navigating your own capacity and how what that looks like and creating your own boundaries and having support around it. I have to ask this question, this idea you brought up this kind of the experience of, of parents, right? And the guilt that they maybe bring with them. And I know Jack was earlier talking about kind of experiences of Asian Americans versus immigrants and how that is so different, but yet there's so many similarities as well in terms of, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking about kind of a parent's experience of being an immigrant versus being someone who was born here and grew up in this culture, right? And how tricky that is to navigate those kind of dueling values and expectations. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I can't speak for all immigrant parents, but I think it's a really tough situation for them to be in. They've worked I mean, the generalized like belief is that, or the thought is that they worked really, really hard to leave their home country, to come here, make it, like you said, the American dream. And they do all these things with the motivation to have a great life for their kids. And so they've worked really hard to do that. They give everything to their family. And then they have children who grow up here 
and don't have those same values and, and might not have the same beliefs. And then there's, again, that conflict between them and it's hard for them to understand that fully. And so I think there's probably a lot of complicated emotions in the parents as well. It's not just the children who are feeling this way or having mixed emotions. Yeah. I'm an immigrant myself, so I'm Chinese Malaysian and I immigrated in my young adulthood. And when I think about kind of the Asian American, like parent, immigrant parent experience, I think about reflecting on my own experience. There's a lot of grief. I feel like that comes with that experience, leaving a place that you're so familiar with, leaving the values and cultural norms that you're so familiar with to come to a place where things are so foreign and you you have to relearn things. And in many ways, you feel very incapacitated or incompetent, which is not a way that any parent wants to feel, right? And it's really hard because I think a lot of the times when I hear with my Asian American clients who are children of immigrant parents, they feel like it's hard not to resent their parents for being incompetent for leaning on them so much in this newer environment where they were born and raised. So that's kind of where I think of the mental health work that I've done, like with like the divide between like the Asian American experience versus the immigrant Asian experience. Yeah, that's interesting. I think um, as Jack was talking, it was making me think of how to sort of offer sometimes a gratitude lens, right. And like a, almost like a strength perspective and sort of, you know, helping clients see that if their parents were the immigrants that came over, their experience was brave, right? It was, I used the word pioneer earlier. And so navigating a new country, they shifted themselves. And so I think helping them assert their boundaries, you know, verbalizing them or, or nonverbal communication of drawing the boundary may look like really rebellious, but it's, it's just a, a way to draw awareness of of how to not really keep them out, but how to keep <laughs> the individual sort of in, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's important for children of immigrant parents to, like we talked about, set boundaries, be okay with different values, to have a balance with all that, but also to remember what their parents went through to provide for the family. And I think once people can remember that or think about that, when they're feeling frustrated with their parents or when they're having an argument or some kind of conflict, it helps them feel more empathetic towards their parents and what they went through. But again, it's all about balance because if you're constantly feeling that way, like always looking at it from their perspective, it's not good for self-care. Like uh, Nita had mentioned, like it's important to have a balance with all of that, just take into all the different perspectives when thinking of a situation. I'm also thinking about openness to mental health treatments, right? And I'm, I'm sure that's a, a topic that comes up when you're Asian American patients and clients that you see in terms of this idea, maybe of a kind of desire to maybe become more mentally well um, and how that might conflict with maybe a parent who's an immigrant, their view on um, mental health care. Yeah. So do you mean mental health care for the patient or for the parents or for both? Well, for the, probably usually the younger generation is more, more typical, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a fact that Asian Americans seek out mental health treatment less than Caucasian people. 
But when people do come in, it's like, it's very nice to see that they're open to it, especially after growing up with in a family or in a culture that does stigmatize mental health care. So I always just encourage and, you know, thank them for being present in the appointment. Like I know it's not an easy thing to do. So we do talk about mental health stigma a lot and try to work around that and help them feel like it's okay to seek help. Like maybe that wasn't okay in your upbringing or in your family or in your culture, but it is okay now. And you're, and you're doing this for yourself, which is a very positive thing. I totally agree with you, Agnes. And I would add to that. I do see a shift starting slowly, but surely more and more children of immigrant parents who have started their individual therapy, it's actually creating a shift in their parents. So I'm starting to hear um, from clients who are saying, hey, do you know anybody who may be licensed in this state for my parent or parents who are seeking some sort of, you know, forum to maybe unpack longstanding beliefs that have, they're willing to verbalize and create their own change, which is great. Yeah. And I think about kind of the stigma in general of like growing up in, in my family, what I heard a lot was kind of like, well, it's, you know, you keep it in the family, right? You don't air out your dirty laundry is what my parents would say. And I remember like first time going into therapy myself and seeing a white man and I felt like immense guilt honestly, to be like, oh my God, I feel like I'm like betraying a part of myself or like I'm losing my cultural kind of connection by like somehow like buying into like this Western kind of practice, which is, you know, like that's the stigma of it, right? Like therapies for white people. And I think that's why it's so important now too that, and it's great to see like more Black, Indigenous, people of color, practitioners and representation, because it does matter, right? Like coming in and seeing like, oh, this is someone who might share my background and might share some parts of my story and they're, they're, they're doing this work. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so it might bring me to this question that we were discussing, possibly asking um, in the beginning, but we, we decided because it was too complex not to ask it in the beginning, but I wonder if it is the right time to ask, what is culturally competent care? What does that mean? And what does that look like? And how do you find it? I think, you know, everyone has a different culture, right? That could be where you grew up, who you grew up with. It could be somebody, even Los Angeles has its own culture. The OC has its own culture. That could be considered culture. Where your parents are from, that's culture. So I think it's really important as practitioners, healthcare providers, when you see a new person or see a new patient or client, like you think about all those different things that the person grew up with and that everyone is different. The treatment plan is probably individualized and it's important to ask those questions as well to the patient and not assume things about their background. So culturally competent care means being able to ask those questions and be open to that and having that discussion with your patient or client. Do you think it's important that the clinician has had a similar experience? I think it could go both ways. I think if someone is not, I guess, educated or somebody doesn't take these steps to learn about different cultures, it might be difficult for them to relate to their client or their patient. And the patient and client might feel that way about the provider as well. But I think there are a lot of 
good healthcare providers or mental health providers who do take the time and the effort to learn about different cultures and they can provide culturally competent care even if they do have different cultural backgrounds. I will say I really like the point that Agnes you brought up of kind of having that open discussion because when I think about culturally competent care I think about setting goals that the client would like to see you know the change that they would like to see that would help them and not so much us being the expert or professional, like telling them what they need to have their lives be better. And then I also think about when you mentioned, do they need to be from the same background, right? A clinician, I think it could go either way, right? I think it sometimes it's helpful to have someone with your own background, but I've also heard from clients that like to have a provider who's from a different background because then it kind of gives them that extra space and step to like explain like the cultural practices or traditions or beliefs that they come from. And then in doing so, they they have that extra reflection space of like, oh, but like, do I still want this in my life? Like, do I believe in this? Does this reflect who I am as a person? So yeah, I've heard it both ways. Yeah. To add on to Jack's point there, I think it is very client specific. I think there's some folks who really benefit from having a forum and for the first time ever giving voice to these feelings that just that alone is what they need, you know, and then what do they want to do from that point? But for others, it's, Hey, I'm really ready now to perhaps I saw my parents chasing security and safety. So I was really risk averse and risk averse means never boundary setting at all. And now I'm ready at a place where I want you to just be able to get it. And so I don't need just the language. I want the tools as well. So I think it is very client specific. And I know I asked a really hard question, but I think you did a gr- all a great job <laughs> at answering it. Before we say goodbye, and by the way, this is the first time I've done a four-person podcast, and I think it is great. So I'm so happy you guys all decided to join me today for this conversation. But before we say goodbye, I always do this at the end of the, my podcast. Anything that you wish that we had brought up and discussed or kind of something for the listener to think about? And you don't have to, but if, if there's something that, you know, parting words, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but anything that you want to say before we say goodbye? I think if a listener has not sought mental health care and they've been considering it, even if they've been considering it for a month or maybe if they've been considering it for a year or longer, you know, ask yourself, like, what is holding me back? You know, is it stigma? Is it my upbringing? Like, what is it exactly? Look at that. And if you really do want mental health treatment, I think you can find a provider who could be a good fit for you and who might make it easier for you. Yeah, I think along in that vein, for anyone who is thinking about mental health treatment, I think I always say, you know, you deserve that support, right? Like if you're struggling with something, it doesn't make you any less. It doesn't really make you, I think I used to have these feelings of like, oh, if I see a therapist, that means I have a mental illness or I have something wrong with me. And I I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. I think, you know, you deserve the support. You deserve someone. You're literally just giving yourself the gift of like having that space to figure things out more for yourself. And I think that's always valuable. So, yeah. Yeah, I would just add, it it sort of just enhances the authenticity of the person, right? So like if there's sort of, whether that's normalizing the client's feelings or or validating them, 
I think that alone is is a big piece of of the work when they begin to show up. Well, thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. And I think this is a great episode and one that listeners will find quite valuable. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.